2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
0: So what this is referring to, this makes straight the path of the Lord, this is referring to a practice that was then that whenever a Middle Eastern king would travel, he would have a person way out in front of his caravan, and that person would essentially be crying out, he's coming, you couldn't see him, he's way out, he's coming, the king's, and so he's coming down this road, so remove any rocks that are in the way, get rid of any debris, any branches or whatever, clear the way so that his way will not be hindered. It's going this way. This is the picture that's painted, that God paints in Isaiah 40, verse three of John the Baptist is this person way out in front of the King of Kings, Jesus, of King Jesus. And so King Jesus is coming for the first time in his first coming down this road of salvation. It's a road of salvation. He's coming to save sinners and he's gonna be successful if the road of salvation is cleared of any obstacles. And the obstacle is a sin that hasn't been repented of. And so when John the Baptist is fulfilling his role of the voice, In Luke 3, 4, Luke 3, 4, it says, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So when the John the Baptist says, make his path straight, he's telling the people, remove from the road any sins that you have that have not been repented of so that King Jesus can be successful and get down this road of salvation to save you and sinners. So now, this is totally different. And not to be confused with the second time, which is referred to also in Malachi 4, but verse 5. So this is, this is the way it's kind of uh, a little bit mysterious here, and that Malachi 4 has actually got both comings of Christ in, embedded into it. And Malachi 4, 5 was going to be for judgment. And that's called the great dreadful day of the Lord. Christ's first coming is not a great, dreadful day. That's a wonderful day of salvation, but his second coming for judgment is called a great, dreadful day of the Lord, and that will not be for salvation, and there's no need to clear a road. There's no need to clear a road because sins it not been refunded, but because King Jesus is not coming to save, second time to save. But in verse five of Malachi 4, 5, Malachi 4, 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the second coming. Going could be for judgment. But it's the next verse, verse six, it's referring to his first coming when it says in Malachi 4.6, Malachi 4.6, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. So in those two verses in Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, is describing Elijah coming for both the second and the first comings of Christ. And what Elijah does, what Elijah was to accomplish, happened in the first coming of Christ, and John the Baptist did it. And John the Baptist did it with the great preparation of the people because he preached repentance, which all shows that the Messiah was not just to appear on the scene, just like the king in the caravan was not just to appear there without a preparation. Preparation, in this case, of the heart, which all shows that the Lord Jesus Christ is not supposed to appear in a person's life without a preparation of the heart. And when we look at that great preparation that God predicted just before the coming, we see that in order to fulfill that, God chose a strong preacher John the Baptist, he was something else to see in Matthew 3, 1. Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair, leather girdle about his loins, meat was locust, wild hunting. Then it went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about, and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits made for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you, God is able at these stones, and you can imagine him pointing at stones, to raise up children unto Abraham, and now also is the axe laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then he went on to speak about Christ, who is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost with fire, and he's going to purge his floor, and he's going to burn up the chaff and so forth. So you look at this person, John the Baptist, and who in the world is this person? He now appears on an out of nowhere, and he appears in nowhere of a wilderness and all of a sudden he's just a sensation and everybody's going out to meet him and all of Jerusalem and so forth and everyone is leaving their cities to go nowhere to some, some, some wilderness out there and his message is prepare yourselves, prepare yourself because he's coming. The king is coming. Don't be caught unprepared because I'm going to help you get prepared because if you're caught unprepared, you will not be able to have the encounter with the Messiah that's going to help you. So the issue here is, are you prepared or not? You're not going to benefit from the encounter unless you're prepared. It's all about being prepared. Because if a person's not prepared to meet Christ, then Christ is just interesting. He's just interesting. It's interesting. But it didn't come to earth to interest people. I mean, if a person's not prepared to meet Christ, then Christ is just, it's entertaining. Look at all these people. He's healing. That's really something. But it didn't come to earth to entertain people. If a person's not prepared to meet Christ, then Christ is just thought-provoking, thought-provoking, but he didn't come to provoke thought. A person's not prepared, then He just then that person just becomes religious. He didn't come to make people religious. So if Christ didn't come to earth to be interesting, to be thought-provoking, to make people religious, to be entertaining, why did he come to earth? He said in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He only came if a person was prepared to know they were lost. And that's the preparation of John the Baptist to show them how they're lost. The reason he came to earth is First Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 1. this is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I also am chief, chief, so spoke the apostle Paul. So he comes into the world to save sinners, not good sinners but dirty, rotten sinners. And John the Baptist is there preparing them, showing them just how dirty they, dirty, rotten sinners are, just how rotten the sinners are because he came to save those type of sinner. And he's effective. John the Baptist is effective because as we saw in Matthew 3, 6, Matthew 3, 6, it says that when the people came out to be baptized as them, they're just confessing their sins. You know, I stole money. I was with my neighbor's wife. and I mean, they're deeply affected. They're crying. And then come another group of people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and now John the Baptist is addressing what they're thinking in Matthew 3.9. Matthew 3.9, he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. He's talking about what they're saying to themselves. Like rabbis told me one time, hell, that's Gentiles. Gentiles made up hell, that's not for you. We have Abraham to our father. So he's giving very strong warnings to the people and he's using this analogy of marking trees, not an analogy, it's a practice, he's using the practice of marking trees to say, this is what's happening, folks. You know, when, when, the, when the farmer, when the workers would go around in the orchards, of or vineyards, and, and the orchards, when they go around the orchards, and they would identify this tree and say, oh, this tree, look at all the mangoes. 200 mangoes, fantastic, you know, keep that tree. And then they come to another tree and it hasn't made a mango in two years. And so they say, well, got to replace it, put another tree in there. And they said, all right, we'll give it one more year, one last chance. So then they take their axe and they would just gouge it at the root as a mark. And they would mark it. And that meant that next year when they came around, if they saw that mark, that was it for that tree. It was history. And so he's saying in Matthew 3.10, Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist, now also the ax is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good tree is hewn down and cast into the fire. So he's warning them. He's saying, the mark is on you. When Next time coming around, it's all about preparation of the heart, all about preparation of the heart. And when you look at that, at that context, preparation of the heart, you can reevaluate the whole parable of the, uh, the seed and the soils, the four types of soils. You know, the hard ground soil, seed falls in, nothing happens to seed, take it away. The rocky ground soil, seed springs up, withers and dies, doesn't have root. The thorn-infested uh, ground, seed springs up, thorns choke it. And then the good seed, where it brings forth good fruit. And you can all look at it from the context of the idea of preparation because just as a person with a hard heart and thinking that I'm good enough, I don't need this Jesus stuff, I'm gonna to get to heaven because of my good works. He will not receive the, the word of God, he's a sinner. And then you look at the next person, the person that is pictured as having the rocks in the soil, the ground is not prepared, the rocks are not removed. It's like, oh, this is wonderful, it's wonderful, but no deep consideration. He's not prepared his heart. He hasn't deeply considered the word of God. He let the changes in his life take place. The changes that demand submission and change of life, and then the, the good seed doesn't survive there, and the good seed doesn't survive in the ground with weeds and thorns because it wasn't prepared. Boy, that's a painful experience for me right now. We're, I'm living in a tragedy right now because we planted this. We, we planted this big lawn down in Loretto. It's ground that was that was this much grass soil was removed and new soil was brought in and was broken up and it was all prepared and it was sifted. It was even sifted so that rocks were removed. But one thing lacking, we put the sod down on top and that beautiful grass within no time was ruined by weeds that just came straight up through it and choked it all out. It's just nothing short of tragedy. We have to remove it all and start to kill the weeds. Three times we have to water, kill, water, kill. Anyway, so just as a person who does not first remove all of the worry from his heart, all of the anxiety over money, all of the, I got to take care of this, I got to take care of that, I have this responsibility and that responsibility. If a person doesn't do that in preparation, just like that sod, the weeds grow up and we can't even tell there was any grass there, just all weeds. Cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the whole point, of this parable, the four types of soils and the word of God, it all comes down to this last soil, which received the seed and it brought forth fruit. Now, it's not that that first ground that he's talking about, the fourth soil, I should say. It's not that this fourth ground just happened to be good ground. That last ground that was fruitful, it could also be thought of as starting out as hard ground, filled with rocks, filled with weed seeds. That last ground was prepared. The hard soil was broken up, so it was no longer hard. Those stones were sifted out, so it was no longer rocky. And those weed seeds were removed, so it was no longer that way. So the point is, is that it became good ground by becoming prepared. The good ground was prepared ground. And that's the point of the parable. Of the seed and the soil. It's not a fatalistic view that some ground just is predestined to be good ground and the the ground is predestined to be hard ground, rocky ground, feeding as well. No, the whole point of the parable is that it can become good ground. All it takes is just preparation. And that's the point behind 1 Corinthians 6 9. 1 Corinthians 6 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abuses of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You could look at that good ground and you say, you were hard ground. You could look at that good ground and you say, you were infested with rocks, you were infested with seeds, but you've been prepared, you've been cleansed, you've been washed. And John the Baptist, was that was his job. That was his job as, as a preparer. He was a preparer. And he was a very prominent person, but he wanted to be a nobody. He wanted to be a nobody. He did not want to be a personality. He wanted people to not remember him. He didn't want people to make a big deal about him. When John the Baptist is asked, who are you? Who are you? His answer is, well, can you see a voice? You can't see a voice. I'm a voice. You can't see me. I'm only a voice. John one twenty two? they said unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. When John the Baptist got up in the morning and he knew he was going to be seen by all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, all of people are coming out to see him. He didn't look at his wardrobe and say, let's see now. What should I wear today? I know. This cannoli suit here I bought down in Nordstrom, this will make me look really impressive. That's going to be what I'm going to get in front of. Not at all. John the Baptist had the same thing all over it. Very non-impressive. He was clothed in camel's hair with a girdle of his skin about his loin. Camel's hair. There's nothing wrong with camels, I guess, but I don't like camels. Uh, They have them in Ethiopia in one part of Addis Ababa, and I don't like to go over there. You know, They smell, they stink, they spit. Not nice animals. Some people like him, I don't know. Anyway, he's clothed like that in camel's hair. And uh, he said, no, I'm going to have a good, you know, breakfast of champion this morning. He eats locust. Clothes is not impressive. His food is not impressive. But his message is strong because he says, he's saying, I don't want you to remember me for who I am. I want you to remember my words. And that's how I felt. He had John the Baptist looked at him and says, I, I have nothing to glory in. As a matter of fact, he said about himself in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. He wanted people to remember what he said about Jesus Christ and re- not remember anything about who he was because he was married to the message. And for John, his message was, was the same like Paul called his gospel message in 1 Corinthians 9.16. 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul called his message a necessity that was laid upon him. He called this gospel a burden. It was heavy on him. It was the only way. And Paul, you could see him in his life, say, how am I going to get relieved of this burden, this burden, this heaviness of this gospel burden so strong I'm getting crushed under the load of this gospel message? And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Well, that's how John the Baptist felt, the same as Paul, with this heavy, heavy, heavy burden of repentance message that was laid on him. Repentance message was so heavy that he could say, both of them, Paul, John, could say, I have nothing to glory of. I have necessity learned is upon me. It's as heavy, is as heavy as a woman in her late stages of pregnancy. And when the word deliver is used for a woman in pregnancy, it takes on a whole new meaning as she wants to be relieved from this weight and this pressure of this medicine ball in her belly. And all she can think of is, how am I gonna be delivered? How am I gonna be delivered? And that's the way it was with John the Baptist. The weight, the pressure of the burden was so great for him. All he could think about is delivering himself from the burden of this message. And that's why John the Baptist did not bring his message with a certain academic clarity, and he didn't bring his message with an intellectual stimulation, and he didn't bring his message with a great eloquence. He was crying out, it says in Matthew 3, 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And so what's this great message that John the Baptist was burning to preach? Get ready, get ready for Christ. And he preached to the people, and it says there were three groups of people that responded. It was the common people, the tax collectors, and the soldiers, uh, prominent by their absence, scribes, Pharisees, elders, religious people. And these three groups, the common people, the tax collectors, and the soldiers, they came with the response in Luke 3.10, Luke 3.10. And the people asked him, This common people, what shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the tax collectors, the publicans, to be baptized. And they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And John told the common people, You look for opportunities to repent of covetousness, and give to those who are in need. John told the tax collectors, you look for opportunities to be honest and only collect what you're supposed to collect. And John told the soldiers, don't be violent, don't accuse anybody falsely, and be happy with your wages. Don't take bribes. You do not want to get stopped on the federal highways in Mexico. Done it. By the federal police. The municipal police, okay but not the federal police. They are not content with their wages, obviously, because you're gonna make up their wages. So then what happened is that all of this is going on with John the Baptist, and a tragedy is described in verse 12. The tragedy is, but I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not. That's a tragedy. They knew him not, but have done uh, unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also shall the Son of Man suffer of them. They didn't know who he was. This is a tragedy. all boils down to in life for eternity. They didn't know their time. They didn't know who the person of Jesus is, and that's a tragedy. And this is the description of Jesus by and large for the world in John 1.10. John 1.10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The world looked at their creator that they owed everything to, and they didn't recognize him. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 2 1 Corinthians 2 which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The scribes knew the scriptures forwards and backwards, but they didn't know that John was the preparer of the Messiah, and they didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. But they knew the scriptures. And that's why Jesus said to them in John 539, John 539, search the scriptures. For in then, you think you have eternal life? They are they which testify of me. They knew the Jewish traditions, but they didn't know who John and Christ were. And Elijah, in the person of John the Baptist, has just been among them. And Christ has just been among them, and they didn't know. And then he described, he comes back to the cross, back to the cross. Because Herod didn't know who John the Baptist was, he beheaded him. Because Christ was unknown to the Sanhedrin and the Romans, they abused, they killed him. And now the disciples have just come from the clearest demonstration that he God on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got a little taste of heaven, and they just had two who came from heaven, Elijah and Moses, and they just saw them. They got another little taste of heaven, and their hearts naturally are thinking about heaven, and they wanna go there. And at this point, at this point, of all the subjects, the Lord Jesus brings up the suffering of the cross at the hands of the Gentiles, Says this is what they did, John. This is what they're going to do to me. Why? Because he's showing to them the cross is the link between earth and heaven. It's the bridge over troubled waters. It's the cross removes the barrier between earth and heaven because there is no going to heaven without the full payment of the sin, and that's why the cross is so important. And that's why the Lord Jesus brings it up now. So by the time that that the disciples have backed down to the bottom and processed us all out, they understood. They understood in verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he spake to them of John the Baptist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Christ, our bridge to heaven. We thank you, Lord, for his patience, his graciousness, and his uh, gentle instruction. In Jesus' name, amen.